This morning, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verse 19, Paul asks this question. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Why would he ask that question? Because a lot of people just don't know. They don't get it. He said, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. He goes on to explain that we have been redeemed and purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We don't belong to ourselves. You can't just do what you want to do. If you're a person of faith, you just can't do what you want to do, which is a shock to a lot of people. Now, this is now February. It's the month of love. Valentine's Day coming up. It's also known as Marriage Month. So for the month of February, we're going to be speaking on the subject of love and marriage and whatnot. And uh, this morning, I'm going to speak to you a little bit on the uh, subject of sex. You don't have to panic. We're not going to get very graphic. But uh, when Paul's talking about this idea of your body's being the temple of the Holy Spirit, a lot of people quote the scripture, you know, and why you should take care of yourself and why you should exercise and why you should take vitamins and why you shouldn't smoke and all. And you can make that extrapolation if you want. But that's not what he's talking about. He's literally talking about sex. He's reasoning with these guys saying, hello, what are you doing? Don't act in these ways. Sex outside of marriage. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Be careful with what you do. That's the context of the whole thing. Now, when it comes to winning the moral battle for the hearts and mind of our children, you have to understand something, folks. The numbers are against us. You ever see a TV commercial only to have it repeated again and again and again right after, you know, it's just so irritating. I hate it when they do that. I always say, I'll never buy that product. It makes me mad, you know. But the reason they do this is because all research has shown one thing, that the success of a message is dependent on the number of impressions. That's why they do it. Very rarely do you see them ever just go for big numbers in one impression, which you'll see today on the Super Bowl. People will spend $3 million for 30 seconds of airtime. Why would they do that? Because it's such a large audience. So they kind of bend the rules today, but even still, it will be followed up by lots of repeat impressions of the same message over and over and over again. The most successful campaign has a message on television, then you see the very same message in, on the newspaper, you hear the very same message on the radio, you see the same message on a billboard, you notice the same message in your magazines. Why? Numbers of impressions. That wins the battle. Those of you involved in any kind of marketing at all have studied this stuff, experienced this stuff, you know it's impressions. You can't just have your message out there one time. It, it won't matter. Numbers of impressions. Now, I received an email this week from a mother who was perplexed and disturbed, upset, understandably so, because her daughter just announced to uh, her and her husband that she was going to move in with her boyfriend and, and live in sin. And the mom was all upset, and she wrote to me, says, well, how can this be? We taught her the right thing. She was raised in the church. What is going on? And I explained to her, the answer is number of impressions. You see, dear, you probably talked to your daughter one time about the right thing to do. You measure that against thousands of negative impressions. 
who do you think's going to win? Well, I'm telling the truth. Yeah, but still, who do you think's going to win? Number of impressions. This creates quite a problem for the church. Since there are so many negative impressions about sex given every day, there's no way the church can compete. We would have to preach about sex every Sunday, and still we would lag behind. And then when you consider that most churches never talk about this, of course you don't have that problem here. <laughs> you can see why people are so messed up. Numbers of impressions. Big message for the parents here. Listen to me. The church cannot be the sole moral filter or moral teacher to your children. Can't do it. You have to do it. And you have to do it often. Particularly the fathers. Now all studies have shown that the single greatest influencer on the moral decisions of a child comes from the father. The most recent study comes from a, one that was published on NBC, msnbc.com, not exactly the center of conservative thought. <laughs> MSNBC is like left to left, you know what I'm saying, way out there. But even in their study they published, they said that their study shows that fathers have twice the influence on the moral decisions of a child than the mother. Of course, hard for them to say because there's a lot of more feminists and they get all mad about it. But you can scream and holler all you want. Even in their study, men have doubled the influence and that is the most conservative. Other studies have shown it jumps dramatically higher. Even from the most leftist view of this thing, there is one thing that is clear. A man will always have the greatest influence on the moral decisions of a child, the father. Of course, what do most fathers do? They leave it up to the mother. They abdicate their responsibility. It's time you guys man up. Start doing the right thing. You tell them. And you need to tell them more than once. Now parents have to be vigilant in two ways. One, you have to filter, and number two, you have to teach. Now, before I get into that, let me give you a little A, B as a side note here. A, parents, don't stop parenting too soon. I believe this is one of the biggest mistakes parents make. The kid finally hits their teen years and they're thinking, thank God I can relax. Well, stop and think about it. For 13 years, they've been sucking your brain dry. <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> and then, and then they finally, they can take care of themselves. They can dress themselves. They don't poop their pants anymore. Life is good. So parents start to step back and start to enjoy some of their freedom. It's the worst thing in the world you can do. And listen to me, you do that, you might as well throw the other 13 years right down the toilet. It won't mean jack squat if you do not finish the job. That means you have to stay in their face, you stay connected with them, you monitor what they see, where they go, who they're with, and your children will hate you for it. 
if they don't hate you for it, you are doing something wrong. By the way, it is not your job to be your kid's friend. I will say it again. It's not your job to be your kid's friend. Oh, but I want to be the cool mom. Yeah, we used to love to go over to the cool mom's house. <laughs> your mom's so cool. <laughs> I trust my kids. You're an idiot. <laughs> Don't stop parenting too soon. Finish the job. And B, don't coach on game day, people. A coach is a terrible coach if he knows a game is coming and does nothing and says nothing and does not prepare, but then on game day starts yelling and screaming about what to do. That is a terrible coach. This is what most parents' idea of parenting is. They wait until the kid does something wrong, then they go psycho crazy. And they're yelling and screaming at the kid, and the kid's screaming back at the parent, like, Wah! You think that's effective? It's not accomplishing anything. Now, I got it. You got your moment of conflict. You got to deal with it. But you teach when the temperature's down. You rehearse these things when it doesn't matter. You talk about being late when it doesn't matter if anyone's going to be late because no one's going anywhere. You teach when it doesn't count. Are you hearing me? Because that's when it does. Prepare them for life. Come on, people. Your kids are 10 years old. I got news for you. They're going to turn into teenagers. Unless you kill them. <laughs> but there's a good chance they're going to turn into teenagers. You're going to wait until they're teenagers to start talking to them about this stuff? You talk to them now. You prepare them for the inevitable. You sit down, you talk to them. Listen to me. In a couple of years, you're going to think I am the stupidest person on earth. And they'll say, no, I won't, Mom. <laughs> See, they still like you now. Okay? You got to let them know, you're not going to like me. They won't believe you. I'm telling you, you're not going to like me. Oh, that's not true. You're going to think I'm an idiot. No, that's not true, mama. Daddy, that's not true. And then when they hit the wall and you're in their face, you remind them, remember when I said you would think I'm the dumbest person on earth? Yeah. Remember? Yeah. I remember. It puts it into context. You've got something to base on. You've laid a foundation. Get ready for what's coming. Talk to your kids. Don't wait until it happens. And then run around in panic trying to fix things. Or call the pastor. Pastor, it happens sometimes. Pastor, you fix it. Are you crazy? What am I going to say? I'm going to listen to me. You got to do it right. You got to prepare ahead of time. So number one, or A, don't stop parenting too soon. B, don't coach on game day. Okay, now back to... My two main points about filtering and teaching. Number one, you got to filter. I am stunned by the kind of sexual content parents allow their kids to see. I was stunned by this when my kids were teenagers 15 years ago. The number of Christian parents who let their kids see stuff I would have never let my kids see. 
I'm like, man, how dumb can you be? And they're not paying attention. They're just off in rooms, you know, talking with other parents while the kids are sitting in front of the boob tube, turning into boobs, thinking stupidly, bad messages, impressions over and over and over and over and over again. We had a policy. We never let our kids see a movie we didn't see first. And if we didn't want to see it, tough snot, you ain't seeing it. Oh, it's not fair. <laughs> Too bad. When you're 18, you can go see whatever you want. Filter. Goodness gracious. What, what do you think is happening in their heads when they hear these messages over and over and over and over again? At a minimum, get the DVD and use this fascinating little button called the fast forward button. And the stuff that's inappropriate, which you know is because you saw it first. And they don't see it. You filter. People don't take this stuff seriously. And, this, you know, and people make the weirdest decisions about it. You know, I know a pastor in the city of Green Bay here. He let his 13-year-old daughter see the movie Titanic like 17 times when it was in the theater. I'm thinking, really? Well, there's nothing wrong with that movie, pastor. Really, let's discuss the message of this movie to your teenage girl. The message of this movie is if you meet a really nice boy and he's really cute, like Leonardo, and you really know him after a long time, you know, like six hours, you can let him see your boobies because he's going to draw pictures of your boobies. He's a good booby drawer. And it's just art. It's no big deal. Really. And then if she falls in love with him, which is certainly possible because now they've known each other for a day and a half, you can have sex with him in a car. And it all makes wonderful sense. And these messages are drilled over and over. And listen to me. When you talk to your kids, it's blah, 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 blah. When Hollywood talks to your kids, it's with great music, riveting storylines, Fabulous cinematography. Gorgeous people. Ooh, they do it really well. And they drill this over and over and over. You're good with your kids seeing that? Then you're going to email me. Oh, Pastor, I don't know why she's pregnant. I don't know why she's moving in with her girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> this very same pastor had a fit preached from the pulpit, yelling and screaming when the movie Harry Potter came out. <laughs> you can't let your kids see this horrible movie. Look, you don't want to let your kids see the movie Harry Potter. I don't care. But reality check, people. Think it through. It's called assessment. Risk assessment. I'm a pilot. When we get in our plane to fly, we have done risk assessment. Number one, can the thing fly? <laughs> kind of number one, you know what I'm saying? Number two, does it have fuel? What's the weather like? What's going to happen? Where are the winds coming from? How long? We do, but before any of you have flown with me, some of you have flown with me, you know we know what it's going to be before we get there. 
Right? We know what the weather's going to be. We know exactly. Because we have looked at it and we've re-looked at it. We've checked it and we're seeing it constantly in flight. We're not making it up as we go. That's how people kill themselves. Well, risk assessment into what's coming into your kid's life. Come on. What are the chances that your neighborhood son's boy, your neighborhood neighbor's boy, whatever that meant, what are the chances that he's going to fly around the neighborhood on a broomstick? Okay? It could happen. But for the sake of argument, wouldn't you say it's probably pretty low? Right? Okay. What are the chances of your next door neighbor's boy wanting to play with your daughter's boobies? Pretty high. Right? Risk assessment. You know. Let's be smart about this. But we do what Jesus told us not to do. We strain at gnats and we swallow camels. Look, you don't want him to see that. Fine. But pay attention to this. So number one, filter. Number two, teach. The good news is this. This never-ending stream of putrid sewage provides endless teaching opportunities to your kids. Endless teaching opportunities. Just the commercials they'll see today on the Super Bowl, I'll bet you, will give you a teaching opportunity. You just hit mute for a second and say, what do you think about that? What do you mean? What kind of message is that? Oh, I know it's not good. They need to hear this, particularly from the father. Teach, it takes you a few seconds. It's nothing. But it gives you an impression. I was watching this movie the other day, The Guardian with Kevin Costner and little cutie boy Ashton Kutcher. Good movie, actually. It's about the Coast Guard and a million positive messages in this movie about sacrifice and discipline and about willing to lose your life to save someone else. I mean, it's a great movie. But even in a great movie, there's sewage in it. Every movie, you'd almost have to hide. I get it. You almost have to hide in a basement not to get it. But at least teaching opportunities. That's assuming you're parenting, though, and not just letting the TV raise your kid. Assuming you're actually involved with this, it's a teaching opportunity. In this great movie, at some point, Ashton meets this Hochi Mama Mama, cute girl, and after really getting to know her after eight minutes, <laughs> has sex with her. Well, there's a teaching moment. You know, and of course, later on, they have sex again. And then one part of the movie, after having sex, Ashton asks her this question. Uh, Would you have dinner with me? <laughs> and the girl said, I don't know that I'm ready to get that intimate. <laughs> Teaching opportunity. You hit pause on the DVD. And you say, what do you think of this message? Talk to your kids. It'll take a few seconds. So, ah, those messages don't mean anything, really. You know, Deb and I just met a young lady in Vancouver, British Columbia. And she was talking about how she has sex every weekend with several different guys. And 
trying to talk to her about why that's a wrong thing to do, she says, well, everybody has a hobby. <laughs> hey, she wasn't kidding. She was serious. She said, some people golf. Some people run. But I, I have sex. It's, it's just a hobby. Why? Because these messages get drilled over and over and over and over. See, what they're trying to tell your kids is it doesn't mean anything. Sex doesn't mean anything. Now, if we're going to go to dinner, now we're talking. It's completely upside down. And you say nothing. Of course, a lot of you aren't even aware of what they're watching because you don't pay attention. Taking time to yourself, I don't know, too busy. If there's one message that our girls are hearing over and over again today, and I'm talking thousands of impressions, it's the fact that sex is how you get a guy. This is how you do it. It's how pretty woman found her guy. Sex, 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 sex. Ha, ah, what a great movie. The truth is, ladies, sex is how you can attract a very bad man. I get so many emails from women moaning and groaning about their husbands. What a horrible guy. Why do I keep attracting such horrible men? I always ask them one question. Were you having sex with the dude before you married him? 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer is always yes. I say, sweetheart, that's why you keep attracting very bad men. And listen, people, you don't pay for stuff in advance. You know, ladies, something you have to understand. Sex is the number one reason a man is drawn to a woman. A lot of women say, that's terrible. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be about friendship. Trust me. It's easier to be friends with some other dude. I'll tell you right now. A lot less work. Lots less maintenance. Got to tell you. Why are we drawn to you girls? Because we have such a big sexual need. It's fine. That's the purpose of marriage. And God designed us to hold two people together for life. But why are you giving this up before you get married? Paying in advance. You ever hire somebody to do something for you and pay them in advance totally? Anybody do that? Anybody stupid like me? I've done it three times. There you go. <laughs> A couple of other stupid people out there. Yeah, we've got great hearts, though. You're doing it because you're trying to help the guy, right? Trying to help. Then they never show up. They don't finish the job. They don't start the job. Why? They got paid in advance. You girls are paying it all in advance up front. Today, women, pick it on the women for a minute here, hang on. They freely give sex early on in the relationship. A recent study says that 17% of women in their 20s believe having sex on the first date is okay. But when you go to women in their 40s, it jumps to 58%. I've been saying this for years. Finally got a study to prove it. Big morality problems. It's not. You think it's all teenagers and girls in their 20s? Guess again. It's men and women in their 40s and 50s. 58, 60% of the women in their 40s okay to have sex on date number one. God only knows where it goes after date number four. And I've talked to these women, sitting in my office. 
I said, why are you doing this? You know what the answer always is? Well, I'm not a virgin anymore. I just don't think it matters. Really? Ladies, listen to me. Morality is based on the condition of your heart. It's not based on the status of your woohoo. I don't care about the status of your woohoo. I'm concerned about the condition of your heart. I don't care if you're a virgin or not. Come on, we got to start doing the right thing, especially women of faith. You come here, you worship Jesus, and then you're boinking guys on the first date? <sighs> you wonder why I lost my hair. <laughs> Let me close with this. Now, don't get upset, but I'm not going to pull punches. You know I don't pull punches. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Look what God says about this in Ezekiel. He says, I am filled with fury against you. In other words, I am seriously ticked off. When you do all these things, acting like a brazen prostitute. And you build your mounds in every street corner, your lofty show. Come here, boys. Come here, boys. But God says this. You are unlike a prostitute. See, you're actually lower than a prostitute. Because you scorn payment. You see, all prostitutes receive gifts. But you give gifts to your lovers bribing them to come to you from everywhere for your illicit favors. I thought, oh, dear God, if this is not a picture of women today, especially ones in their 40s. Not only you freely give sex, you give out everything. I'll take care of you. I'll be there for you. I'll move in with you. I'll wash your underwear. I'll take care of your children. Oh, la, 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 la. So in your prostitution, you're the opposite of others, good prostitutes. No one runs after you for your favors. You're the very opposite. You give payment. None is given to you. Now stop and think about this. Because I know what most of you think. You think doing things right in marriage. Then you thought, well, having sex with your boyfriend is, is okay. But then the lowest is prostitution. And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's what God thinks. Doing things right in the context of marriage. Then prostitution. And the lowest is just having sex for nothing. You see, at least a prostitute has the moral sense to ask for cash. You're giving out for nothing. Now, I am not advocating that you become prostitutes. <laughs> Although, if you are going to give out, at least get a couple of hundred bucks first. <laughs> at least step up to a prostitute. Step up to, pastor, we could raise money, you know, for the church for this. <laughs> Buy something nice for the children. You girls going out, at least say, hey, you know, I, you know based on the status, I, I need 300 bucks here. I would encourage you to at least become prostitutes. If you're given sex for nothing. Now, I'm not saying become prostitutes. You know I'm going to hear this later. You just know it, man. I'm, I'm getting a letter from somebody. Pastor, you said women should become prostitutes. Hose for Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're going to become hoes for Jesus, and we're going to raise money for Jesus. 
You know that's what I'm going here. That is not what I'm saying. Well, it is what I'm saying. But think it through. I'm saying stop it. That's what I'm saying. But if you're not going to stop it, at least get cash. So what about the men? Well, then they're worse than John's. You guys treating women like garbage. What's the matter with you? Let's teach our young men to respect women. Let's teach our young women to respect themselves. Let's do it right. But listen to me. This week, your children will hear at a minimum dozens of negative impressions about sex. You just heard one positive one. Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to win? I can't. This is just one. I probably won't talk about this for a while. At least I talk about it. If you fathers don't talk about this to your kids, hit pause, hit mute, constantly over. You think because you had the one talk, you're going to win with this? Numbers of impressions. It's time we start stepping up. Let us not be afraid to speak the truth. The good news is the truth will always defeat a lie. But not when we're silent. Not when we don't talk about it. Not when we abdicate our responsibility because I've got things to do and the kids will just do what they do. We need to take this seriously. You do it right. It will have a positive impact on your kids. Invite our ushers to come forward for communion, our musicians to come back. You say, well, Pastor, what's the big deal? Listen, this is a major deal. What you want is for your children to be able to get married and have a successful life all of their lives. And I know a lot of you parents, you're more concerned about your kids getting married too soon or they're too young or they don't have enough money or they need education, blah, blah, blah. That's all a bunch of horse manure. That, all of that, all of it means nothing. And I'll be talking more about it as we go into this month. The single greatest indicator on whether or not your child will stay successfully married for life is one thing, sexual activity. The studies show it far and away. A recent survey, women over 30 years of age, they asked them, on the women who had one sexual partner, they had only a 20% divorce rate. It's the lowest divorce rate in Western culture. But the women who reported having one other guy, and we're not talking lovers here, girls. We're talking about just one other role in the hay. The women who reported just one other guy, their divorce rate shot up to 50%. The women in the survey who reported two other guys, their divorce rate shot up to 60%. It is the single greatest indicator on whether or not two people will hold together for life. It's important that we do this right. It has consequences. But we're not going to teach them if we rely on one or two impressions. 
getting ready to take communion here. This is where we look to God for forgiveness, cleansing, resetting our hearts before God. Jesus died on that cross for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins, new life in him. I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. If, if you've never really accepted Christ into your life, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. You can take your first steps of faith today. But look, the good news is God forgives us. If I were to ask how many of you have done this wrong, I bet your hands would fill the room. I get it. Lots of people do it wrong. I don't hate you. God doesn't hate you. Nobody hates you if you've done it wrong. But at some point, we've got to stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. It's called repentance. Let's repent today. Let's make a determination. Let's do life right. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins as I surrender myself to you to do that which is right. Amen.